What do you think of meetings at work? Shopify has removed 10,000 meetings from its corporate calendar with the goal of trying to increase productivity. Would this work for your office? We've been hearing for months that there is a shortage for kids, cold and flu medication. Well, now it looks like that shortage has entered the adult medication category. So we speak with a pharmacist about what is going on. Also, we had an important conversation about mental health. Greg revealed something this morning, a moment in his life, a pivotal moment in his life that may have changed his life. And with the River Trail extending now from the Forks to the Osborne Bridge, there were a lot of people out learning to skate for the first time. So we had lots of fun hearing your stories about skating. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, January 9th podcast for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And we have lots to talk about on the Jets today. We'll have the sounds of the game for you in our next segment. Jets laid waste to the Canucks yesterday. Five wins in a row, so we'll have more on that in our next segment. Derek Taylor joins us at 8.35 with a sports weekend in review. A bit earlier than that, at 7.35, we've been hearing for months now about medication shortages for kids. Well, what the heck is going on now, Loretta, as it pertains to adult medication? Yeah, so at the start of the new year, this sort of started surfacing with this idea that if you're an adult looking for, just say, that Tylenol cold, maybe neocitrin or whatever to get you through the days or weeks, maybe that people are feeling like they're ill, you're having an increasingly tough time finding that on store shelves. I know, Macklin, you went through this in your household. I was saying we've had it kind of circling the drain for months. It feels like first the kids and then the moms and dads just not quite feeling like themselves. And so I found an old stash of stuff, not old, just a stash of medication in the back of the pantry the other day. And I was pleased to see that there was neocitrin in that. And then I said to you, oh, I'm I'm having my neocitrin right now, and then I felt guilty, like I should have dropped some off at your house. Well, I love neocitrin as a preemptive measure. If I'm feeling a little bit achy, a little bit stuffed up, I'll have that in order to try and get a good night's sleep, and I'll bundle up and try and sweat out something if I've got it starting, and, and neocitrin helps me with that. It could be psychological. Who knows? I've got no medical basis to suggest uh, neocitrus, neocitrin works, except it does work for me, but I noticed it. When I was in California in early November in the CVS there going uh, to try and get some stuff for 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 the, the sniffles and such that uh, Jackie and I were dealing with back then. No neocitrin, none of these uh, different uh, adult medications as the world was talking about children's medications. And so for the last several weeks, anytime in, I'm in a grocery store, I always go down the cough and cough and flu aisle trying to see if I can restock my neocitrin and there's none. <laughs> and even even my good old um, fisherman's friends that I use even when I'm not feeling well, like that's just more of an occupational hazard, the, the, uh, the throat sore throat tickle. thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, I stock up on the fisherman's friends whenever I see them because there's lots of places that don't have them at all right now that normally do. Okay, let us know what you're seeing at 204-780-6868, and we'll get more into this at 7.35. And um, I spent, I was so happy to see the uh, the Nestaway River Trail open once again from the Forks. I know they opened their first leg last week just at the Forks, but they extended it to the Osborne Bridge. And uh, we'll talk a bit more at 6.45 about one specific element of this, but just families out there playing, listening to kids giggle, seeing people skating with their dogs and dogs frolicking in the snow. 
Man, it was nice to be out there again. I know we complain about winter a lot, but it's, it, this is, for me, that's the main thing I look forward to uh, about winter. The fact that I live five minutes away from that trail. And so many people on it, right? Because I think one of the, the things about winter, you sort of feel isolated. You sit in your house or you look out the window, and then on those really cold days, like Saturday was really windy and it felt extra cold to me, and you look outside and nobody's out. But with that river trail and where you live, you're just surrounded by people all the time because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're not I, isolated, head down, <laughs> slugging through the snow. Yeah. I hope they extend it uh, beyond the Osborne Bridge and head west towards the Hugo Dock. It doesn't look like they've started to groom that yet because it goes around the bend just to the Norwood Bridge on the Red River and then uh, it sort of halts there. Um, so they say as nature allows, they'll extend it. But for now, there's still a good stretch to walk and skate. You and I were talking about this on Friday, Brett. I think it was off the air. I think it was over lunch on Friday. The idea that the view is just a little bit different as you get west of Osborne. You've got the curves in the river. Uh, you don't have the river walk, so it feels a little bit more, I don't know if it's serene, but more natural in terms of what you're seeing, and then, of course, all the incredible condos on the on the south side of the Cinnaboyne River, all the tall buildings there and everything. It's just a little bit of a, a different perspective there when you get past Osborne Street. Yeah, and there tends to be more, I think, homemade arts along that stretch as well because a lot of the people in that uh, neighborhood sort of come together to create some communal art spaces. Uh, last year they had that, that sort of poetry garden. Right which was uh, really might sound, some people might say, well, that sounds kind of hippy dippy poetry garden. Come on. But it was really cool. They did a really a great job at decorating that chunk of the river. So hopefully they'll still have the opportunity to do that. I should just sneak down to, to the Hugo dock to see if anybody's done anything anyway. But uh, I just stay off unless they groom that river and say it's okay to be on there. No, you don't want to be the guy. You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I was about to say, you should go check today. And then I thought, no, and then I, Get a report later that 911 was called because Brett <laughs> froze in the river. In the you river. do not want to be the human dipstick. <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mr. Mackling, you must be thrilled with what's been happening with the Winnipeg Jets these days. A little bounce in my step over the weekend for sure. Friday night, a win against Tampa. And then yesterday afternoon, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, they teased us a little bit. Vancouver Canucks in town. Two straight wins. Here are the sounds of yesterday's game. Teams come to center ice. Puck is dropped. And it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Winnipeg on the reload. Here comes Ehlers. Near side. Dubois. Back for Ehlers. Back out in front. And a shot. They score! Kyle Connor. What a passing play. And it's 1-0 Winnipeg. Winnipeg starts back in a 2-on-1. Lead pass. Kyle Connor. Shrieks in. Partial break. Shoots. Score! Kyle Connor. Second of the period. Second of the afternoon. 19th of the year, and it's 2-0 Winnipeg. Kept in by Dylan into where the corner. He'll push it for Ehlers. He rotates back in behind the net. Came out in front. Shoots and scores! Off the post and in. First goal of the year for Nikolai Ehlers. And Winnipeg regains the lead. It's 3-2 for the Jets. Gagne out towards center ice. Flings it to the far side for Axel Yonsefiolmi. Moves in. Shoots and scores! What a wrist shot for Axel Janssen Fiobi. And with under two minutes remaining in this second period, the Winnipeg Jets have regained the lead again. For Janssen Fiobi, he's trying to scamper away, turning it into a two-on-one, short-handed. Now jumping up, DeMello moves in, shoots and scores! 
DeMello with his second of the year. It's a shorthanded goal, and it's 6-4. Winnipeg! Elias Pedersen wrestling back in behind the net. He lost the puck. Centered out in front of shot. They score! Kyle Connor with his second hat trick of the year. 7-4 Winnipeg. And again, the hats will rain down on this Sunday afternoon. Tooks included. Can people get their toques and hats back if they chuck no, them on the that in? No, No, they're gone forever. They put them, all the Jets ones, uh, on display at the bottom of the escalator on the south concourse across from the Timothy E. statue. Yeah. yeah it's like, a, it's a giant fishbowl of Winnipeg Jets hats. It's just, I, I get, like, I think it's cool when it happens, but I just don't understand it. Like, some of those hats that get charged are 50 60 $70 caps, you know, the toques. A Jets toque isn't cheaper than 30 bucks, no? No. Like you're not chucking 30, you're not pulling out 10, three tens and chucking them on the ice. <laughs> no, no, you're not doing that. Uh, typically, they put hats on sale right after 25% <laughs> off. Yeah, right. See, I, I, like, I like the tradition, but I, every time it happens, I just think, why? We could all take, I'm going to be sounding so boring. People are going to be so bored with me here, but take your money and then let's put it to a charity then. <laughs> you're just going to chuck $30 away like that. I know, I, boring, Loren, you're so boring. No, that's true, though. I, and I assume many of these dis, these instantaneous decisions to throw a hat maybe uh, may have been fueled by a certain beverage or two. No? I've never once thrown a hat. <laughs> I, I, I sit too far away. It would never make it onto the it ice. It would just land on someone 10 rows down. <laughs> exactly. Oh, free hats yeah, from then the you're giving, section. Then you're giving the hat away. Is it hat giveaway night? Yeah. We had no idea. After Global News at 6.30, Shopify taking an interesting step as it pertains to meetings. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock, we're going to hear from Global's David Aiken, who is suggesting that Canada's at a heightened risk for polarization. Could be a turbulent 2023. Huzzah for that. In our next segment, we'll tell you how you can win yourself some passes for the Winnipeg Renovation Show that's happening this upcoming weekend at the RBC Convention Centre. And it has to do with something I noticed on the River Trail over the weekend walking from Osborne down to the Forks. Right now we want to talk about meetings, my favorite thing. Meetings, I love meetings. How many meetings would you say you have at your workplace each week? We, I have at least five. Yeah. They're daily. I like them. They're become more like brainstorming sessions, but I do think there's other things that might get added to the calendar that might have you putting up your hand and saying, like, I could go for no more meetings, and, and would you like to see that at your workplace, as you said? So we're asking this because Shopify estimates it scrapped 10,000 events from its corporate calendar as part of this experiment from the Ottawa-based company to increase employee productivity over the next few weeks. So basically what we did was we removed all recurring meetings with more than two people, and then we also implemented this, our, our re- reaffirmed our strategy around no meeting Wednesday. So we just deleted everything from the calendar for folks. So that's Farhan Thawa. He's a VP of Engineering at Shopify. And he spoke with Global National's Farah Nassar over the weekend to talk about what they're calling right now an experiment. But if it works, it could mean, you know, these 10,000 events 
add up to tens of thousands of hours that could potentially be freed up for something else. The idea is kind of new year, new resolutions to you know leave Slack groups that you're no longer participating in and clean the calendars. I think that uh, at the beginning, folks are surprised, right, to see an empty calendar coming into the new year. But again, subtraction is harder than addition, right? It's easy to add things. And so we wanted to have a two-week moratorium as well to not re-add those meetings so you can really figure out what's important. So it doesn't mean no meetings. They will happen. Thawa of Shopify says there are rules on when and how they can happen. What we're trying to do is really just give some parameters and frameworks for folks. So, for example, you can have large meetings. They just have to happen on Thursday between 11 and 5 p.m. So it's really this idea that you can't overwhelm folks with meetings after meetings and then they have to do their individual contributor time at night. Instead, we want to focus on the makers, the builders, and allow them to actually do their work and have meetings be the sparingly thing that happens only once in a while. So is it, is it a move to get people to just call each other on the phone and if they need something instead of scheduling a whole meeting? Is that the point? So you can still do like one-to-one meetings. The idea was just that meetings are this thing that are easy to, again, add or easy to do and hard to say no to, hard to decline. And so we wanted to make it easier for folks to actually just get all this crud off their calendar. And so we made it, we just did it for them. And now folks can, over the next two weeks, really figure out what's important and add those things back in if they provide value. You don't get enough crud. That, that, that's a word we need to bring back because that is exactly what ends up happening. And without naming any names or any organizations, there are some people in my life that I have no idea how they get anything done in their workday because whenever I try to have a conversation with them or exchange ideas with them one-on-one, they are either on their way out of or into a meeting. Like Meetings rule their lives and it's... I'm with you, Brett. Way too many meetings. Yeah. And look, I, I, I know that I joked about how I, I hate the meeting. I don't despise meetings, but I just, we, it, it's the, the, the time that gets wasted in some meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, I've sat through meetings where, you know, a Microsoft Teams meeting, like I'm in my car and I'm listening to this meeting as I'm driving home. And the first five minutes were spent just talking about Skylar's mustache, Skylar Peters. And I, I, I was three seconds away from jumping in saying, are we going to actually talk about something here? Or can I just hang up? If Because uh, if we're only talking about Movember, then I'm out of here. But then uh, there's the person who would say, okay, but if we don't have those personal moments, it becomes all business all the time. Yeah. That's like there's, there's somebody on the opposite like Let's end. Get on I know with you it. might. I, I get it. I hear you. <laughs> Typically, but, they're called business meetings. But you're darned if you do and darned if So you get in there and you don't acknowledge, how's everybody feeling? That was a tough weekend. Or you don't go through, like, how was Christmas? Or Happy New Year to you all. And if you don't do that, you can guarantee there's X percentage of employees on the other end of that that think, wow, that was kind of rude. We just went right in. We didn't do any of this. And then you have the breath that's going, I don't care how your New Year was. <laughs> I don't even know your last name. Is there a point to this meeting? Right? I don't know. I don't if you're a manager, how are you doing it? Honestly. There's a balance there for sure, but I think the the digital meetings, these online meetings are are, are a little more efficient than the personal ones, the face-to-face ones where you'd have 20 people gather in a boardroom or some other facility. It takes 10, 15 minutes. You're like, oh, I got a meeting at 11. So you start packing up and you go down there. So you're on time or you're a little bit early. And then you have your meeting and the first five minutes goes exactly as Brett outlined. And then you do the thing that you were getting together to do. And then you've got five minutes of, of, of conversation that has nothing 
nothing to do with the meeting, five minutes to get back to your desk, and a 15-minute meeting that you can have online turns into 45 minutes when it's in person. And so at least you were driving home, Brett. Yes. Yeah. You know, you were able to do something else at the same time. You don't typically have that luxury in those face-to-face meetings. I wonder if, if companies, and you can let us know at 780-6868, if you've come back to work, say you were somebody who was sent home and you've come back to work and you've been doing meetings digitally or over Teams or whatever the technology is, are you sticking with that? Because they do make it go faster. Mm-hmm. And you can multitask. I've sat through meetings and done other things while I'm listening to what's going on, which you would feel kind of rude doing if you're face-to-face in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. So you wonder if that will just sort of stick around. And on the opposite end, during COVID, I would dial into meetings that I had nothing to do with because I was bored. I'm at home. There's nobody around to talk to. And someone would say, actually, Lorraine, this is the TV side. You don't need to be here. And I'm like, well, I'm sticking around. (laughs) What are we talking about today, everybody? Like, and I will admit that I was that guy as well. I would die because we, we have these sort of recurring meetings uh, at 11 o'clock one week on Tuesday. And then the next week it'll be at two o'clock <laughs> on a Tuesday. And yeah, during the, at the height of the pandemic where I'd see three, four, five people in the building and that's it. Mm-hmm. I would dial into those meetings. So yes, I, 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 of course, I'd like to joke that I hate the meeting. I don't entirely hate it. And I do see the value, particularly uh, in the, those times of isolation. It was just nice to, to talk to some people I never get to see. Yeah, some meetings are absolutely critical. I mean, not to dump on all of them, because sometimes you do have to get together face-to-face. But Robert just sent a great text message, and this totally fits an organization I worked for about 20 years ago. We will continue to have meetings until we find out why no work is getting done. Yeah. (laughs) That is perfect. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, so the Nestawaya River Trail is now open from the Forks to the Osborne Bridge and on the Assiniboine, and then it goes around on the Red just to the Norwood Bridge. And uh, I don't skate, but I like to walk on the trail. It's super fun. Like the, the sights and sounds of winter when you hear people skating by, I just love that sound. And as it pertains to skates, as I got closer to the Forks, I was surprised to see the number of people who were clearly learning to skate for the first time. Like, Mm. they're on skates, and you can see the wide eyes and sort of not panic, but they're very, like, carefully just taking baby steps on their skates because they just they're and they like they, Bambi they, on ice. Yeah, they've they've sort of propped their body in a way like to try to balance themselves because they're scared they're going to fall on their face. But all I could think was good for you, like good for you for lacing up and getting out there and enjoying winter. So let's talk about skating. Got a skating story? When's the last time you were on skates? Or maybe uh, you quit skating lessons because you hated it, like I did. I got pulled out of skating lessons when I was eight. Because I ended up in a class somehow that was like a level or two up from where I was. And the, the instructors were really mean to me. And my, my mom finally just marched out onto the ice and pulled me off and, mm. and told them off, actually. She told the, she gave those boys the what's for. Good. Thanks, Mom. Um, but then I never went back to skating lessons. Um, have you ever made a fool of yourself on skates? Or maybe you've skated somewhere really cool. Whatever. Or if you've never skated, is it something you would like to do? Tell us a story at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Winnipeg renovation tickets. Mackling, I know you played hockey, but yes. uh, my understanding is your, your skating career had a rather uh, difficult beginning. Five years old, Crestview Community Center, so it would have been about 1974-75. First ever hockey game kind of make my way exactly as you mentioned, Brett, just sort of kind of walking on my skates, get out. I think I was playing defense, and the puck dropped, 
And I stood there and I cried my eyes out <laughs> and I could close my eyes and I can remember being on the blue line and the, and the tears freezing to my face. I wanted nothing to do with hockey after that. It was a very, very cold day. And I remember my dad coming out onto the ice and kind of walking me off, taking me into the very warm change room attached to the very cold outdoor ice and he said, you, you know you're doing this, right? Yes. <laughs> like, there's no option here. We went to Canadian Tire. We spent the money on the equipment. You said you wanted to do this. You are absolutely 100% doing this. And the tough love worked. And uh, fell in love with skating. We did a, a skating, a, like a skate-a-thon at the Vimy Ridge Arena. or Vimy, not Vimy Ridge, Vim, just Vimy Arena, I guess it's called out in Crestview. It's closed now. I think that's where the uh, Bruce Oak Recovery Center is. And you, you, had, to, you had to skate a, a certain amount of times around the ice in order to raise money for the community center or what have you. And, and I think that was, the, that was sort of the thing that changed it all for me. And so, yeah, I love to skate and... And miss playing hockey quite a bit, actually. Connor Hellebuck's joining us later this morning to talk about a book on mental health. Maybe we should ask him, in all honesty, when you first tried skating, do oh, you that'd recall be a great idea. if you actually liked it? Because you're putting these thick leather blocks with blades on them and then sending like a three-year-old out or four, who's just learned to walk. Now we're going to put something super slippery on your feet and we want you to skate. There's very few kids you don't see in skating lessons who aren't near tears, almost crying, <laughs> laying there doing snow angels. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of things in life. Nobody likes it when you're not good at it at first. And it's awkward. Jeff Braun, what about you? I skated a lot when I was a kid, and I didn't care for it a whole lot either. And I remember grade five was when I, I stopped skating. We went on a, like a class, like a little, it's just a field trip day or whatever to go skate. And, and that was the last time I skated until 2020. Hmm. And then I bought some new skates. And I thought, oh, let's give this a shot again. I went down to my local outdoor rink at the community club. And the change room area was filled with people who were, they're just sitting there waiting for uh like a bus with their kids to come back from some other field trip or whatever they're waiting. But I was lacing up these skates for the first time in like 35 years. I was like, I'm not walking around on these skates with all these people in here. So <laughs> I sat there for 40 minutes and just waited until the bus showed up and all those people left. <laughs> and then I did my little Bambi walk onto the ice and it was not pretty at all. I was clutching the boards and just inching my way around the ice. The caretaker guy was there. I was trying to explain to him how I hadn't skated in 30 years, and he looked at me like I had a third eye, and it was just a, it was a humbling experience. I went a couple of times that year, and I didn't go at all last year, and I'm not sure I'll go this year. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, the, the Bambi walk and the wobbliness, you know, I've hurt my ankles a few times over the years, and that. And now that you mentioned that, that kind of, the, the idea of putting skates on sort of scares me. It, the older you are, though, the, like, the harder you fall. That's why it's more scary. Yes. Like, it's not like when you were, you weren't 6'5 at five years old. Yeah. Right? You going down now, that's going to hurt. Yeah, for sure. Forte, what about you? For me, last year was the first time I went skating in 18 years. So, oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, at first, you know, a little shaky, but uh, after a while, I was getting the hang of it, and I'm with my buddy, and he's skating around me, you know, he skates often, and, uh, you know, he's doing fancy skating things, and he's skating around me, trying to be all fancy, well, then he almost wipes out, <laughs> and he grabs the back of my jacket, <laughs> I barely know how to skate, and now I'm holding him up, I'm going, no, no, let go! It was, I, I didn't fall down. Oh, wow. I, I kept his weight on my back, and uh, 
<laughs> that should be a rule. It's like when you're swimming. Don't grab me in the water no if kidding. you're panicking. And do not grab me on the frozen water if you're panicking. Yeah, well, it, it, there's just an instinct to reach out and grab whatever is nearby. Like, I, I remember I had this dumb idea, not to ice skates, but I did rollerblade for a time. And I thought, I'm going to rollerblade home from work. I work downtown at this point. This was in my 20s. And I was going to ride. I was going to rollerblade home to Transcona. And uh, I made it exactly 20 feet and I almost fell. And then I just reached out and grabbed this guy walking beside me <laughs> to prop myself up. And I just said, I'm sorry, man. And then I immediately went back upstairs, took the blades off. And I think that was it. I think that was the last time I put my rollerblades on. What was your planned route? Uh, I don't know. I think I was going to go up Provence <laughs> and then up uh, Archibald and oh then up the Orb. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really stupid plan. Oh, really stupid oh. idea. I used to rollerblade in the summer in Ottawa when I had, I had worked during the week and then I had a Saturday job. I'll have to look at the distance, but it would have been like a a downtown to Transcona almost. But it was Ottawa, and they have a paved river trail, Mm -hmm. and you could just take that the whole way out and back. But you're on the streets with the stones and rubble. and Yeah. yeah, I think I just panicked immediately. I Just as soon as I hit the sidewalk. Yeah, because I think think there was a portion of that sidewalk that was almost cobblestone, if memory serves. Um, But uh, 204-780-6868. Before we get out of here, Loren, did you have... No, I just love to skate. I can still only skate. Like, I can't do cross cuts. You know, when you put your foot over the other foot, I call them cross cuts. I think the kids say something else now. Crossovers. Crossovers. I I I can only do one direction. So I'm great if I'm going one way around the rink. But if you have to send me the other way, I'm in trouble. And it's the same with stopping. Stop, yeah. I stop real sharp like to the right. I can't do But to the left, no dice. You can't turn left, eh? I just can't like do now? the I can't do a left turn. I can't do any of it. I can't skate backwards. I can't stop. I can't do the cross cut, crossover, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But like, I love all it. the only thing I could ever do was skate forward and fast. That's it. And then you hit the boards? Pretty much. <laughs> or or or, di- or dive into a snowbank. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up after Global News at 7.30. We're going to check in with a pharmacist because we're now seeing a shortage of cold and flu medications for adults. So we'll find out what is up with that. And before we talk about the potential for a turbulent 2023 on the political scale, we're asking you to tell us a skating story for a chance to win Winnipeg Renovation Show passes. What does David have for us, Greg? I'm born and raised in Thompson, Manitoba, so hockey and skating up there go hand in hand. I was so determined to learn how to skate, like all my friends, that every day after school I went to the ODR to learn. There was this girl that was older than me, and she promised to teach me how to skate, which I'm grateful for and wish I knew her to this day. Now I get to teach my three-year-old a skating lesson starting this week. I couldn't be more excited because she wants to learn. David? Keep us posted. Yes. I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but and the, my kids love skating. Like they they love it. But I will say, I can recall taking them to skating lessons, and it was at Canland. You know, it used to be called the Highliner, I think, or uh, by the by the airport, and watching them from the glass, and my husband would be down there with them, and I'd be like, Why is it? Why aren't they? What's he doing? Like, why is he? What's happening? And there's an instructor, and they wanted the parent on the ice. And after a couple of weeks, I said, "I doesn't look like it's going very well out there." He's like, "You go out there." <laughs> and I was out there for like five hot seconds, and I was like, "This is the worst!" Like, nobody wants to get up. Your back is killing you because you're bending over, oh, holding them the whole time. They weren't fun. complaining or anything. It just 
You wanted it to be quicker. Like, figure it out. And it's hard. You got to get the bob skates. The uh, yes. four-bladed skates that you strap onto your boots. There, there's some crappy skates there. That's a great way to learn. Oh. Oh, anyway, man. it's fun. It's a great time in any parent's life. But I'd love to hear, David, later this week how that first lesson goes. Keep us posted, David, 204-780-6868, and tell us a story about skating for a chance to win those passes. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Right now we want to talk about how an influential U.S.-based research group is warning that Canada is at a heightened risk of polarization and political dysfunction. So there's factors like the challenging economic conditions, which I think many of us are feeling. There's a declining trust in some traditional media. All of these, this group says, contribute to what they're calling a turbulent 2023. We get more from Global's David Aiken. Last year's trucker convoy was only the most visible symptom of a Canadian society becoming increasingly polarized. Now, Eurasia Group, a New York-based consultancy, is warning its clients that the forces that spawn the protests are likely to continue and intensify in Canada in 2023. And who are Eurasia's clients? Well, some of the world's biggest pension funds and other institutional investors who need to manage risk. It is worth watching because from an investor's perspective, if it's very difficult to tackle big issues like climate change because of uh, a deepening and widening moat between, roughly speaking, progressives and conservatives in, in the country, then it's a, more, it's a dicier prospect for investment. The risks to global peace and security are almost self-evident. Russia's war in Ukraine, an aggressive China, and a defensive Iran that may feel backed into a corner. Meanwhile, the world's citizens are also grappling with inflation and could be dealing with a possible energy crunch and what Eurasia Group calls global water stress. Eurasia Group's Gerald Butts, the former principal secretary to Prime Minister Trudeau, explains. We see highly, heavily densely populated areas, not just in the places where we Westerners would normally consign those problems to, in coastal East Africa, for instance, equatorial Asia. But you look at what's happening in the Western United States and indeed in Western Canada, we've had a mega drought of un historically unprecedented proportions. Canada is vulnerable to all of those risks, but Eurasia Group is also sounding the alarm about declining trust in traditional media combined with the country's exposure to a hyper-partisan U.S. media environment. I think the, the biggest um, problem that it generates, though, is that there's no agreed-upon set of facts. Now, all of these factors underline the importance and value of the country's political leaders, federal and provincial, right or left, to reach cross-partisan solutions to manage the risks in what is likely to be a turbulent 2023. So my question, do you think, you know, you talked about there about the polarization in Canada. Are we becoming increasingly polarized or is it just that the there's a really loud vocal minority on, say, both sides of the equation and, and we put too much attention towards that? And I'm talking on any equation, a political equation, vaccine equation, whatever conversation there is, just really loud voices and social media plays into that. Well, somewhere along the line, somebody decided that the the flat earth society uh, got got a line of the other side right in the middle of the discussion about whether uh, the, the the earth is a, is a sphere or whether or not it's flat and so with so many conversations there is this 
supposed line down the middle and you bring up the fact of are we polarized 50-50 or is it like a 90-10 thing and do the 10% have a louder megaphone, a larger megaphone than anywhere or at any time before? Yeah, I think it's called social media. All you have to do is go on to social media if you dare do so and you realize very, very quickly that it doesn't take you long to find an account with thousands, if not tens of thousands of followers, trying to disprove something that we have known since we were in elementary or junior or high school, uh, that that was a fact, that is somebody's trying to disprove it. And that polarization is, it's not only alive and well, it's thriving right now. And, and I know there's tons of people making lots of money on it too. And do you think that's part of the problem, that a lot, that a lot of the people who might be peddling these negative, these, or not necessarily negative, but these messages maybe don't even believe what they're saying. They've just figured out, oh, this is actually something I can monetize. Get attention. I watched a documentary on uh, HBO over the weekend, and I didn't know I was going to go here, so I apologize. I don't have it written down. I'll give it to you in the next segment. And they interviewed the head of the Proud Boys in the United States, and one of their biggest money makers are these different teacher uh, T-shirts that they sell online, which support their supposed stance on a variety of different things. In the interview, the young man who made this documentary asked, um, do you sell any pro-Biden T-shirts on different websites that you own? And a guy said, uh, no comment on that. And so there's money being made on all sorts of fronts. There's all sorts of incentive to be divisive uh, by a lot of people. And you just got to watch for it and, and, and triple and double checking the sources on these things is, is exhausting, but you got, but you got to do it. And maybe have some fun with it. Charles Adler, our former colleague, retweeting this morning a tweet from somebody that's making rounds from the Flat Earth Society. Mm-hmm. The Flat Earth Society has members all around the globe, is the tweet. <laughs> It's like, well, which is it, Flat Earth Society? Make up your mind. Is it a disc or is it a globe? It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're talking about skating this morning because over the weekend with the expansion of the Nestaway River Trail from the Forks to the Osborne Bridge, I went for a walk on the trail both Saturday and Sunday and I saw a lot of people, uh, particularly closer to the Forks, who were clearly learning to skate for the first time in their lives, you know, just taking baby steps on the skates. And I just, it made me smile. I thought, good for you, good for getting out and enjoying winter in Manitoba. And we're asking you to tell us a story about skating, whether it's, you know, your love of it or pl- cool places you may have done it, or maybe you've just got a funny story. And we're getting lots of funny stories so far, Loren, about uh, parents and their kids learning to skate. So Tim says, my daughter had no inclination to skate. When her grade two teacher convinced her to go skating on a class trip, we explained she hadn't skated in two years. She went on to tell us, daughter's a good skater, she would be fine. So we borrowed skates and a helmet for her. We tried to take her once prior, but didn't have time. The big day came. She went on the trip, and at 2 o'clock, we get a call to pick up our daughter from school. When we got there, it turns out a child fell and broke the teacher's rib. (laughs) Yes, our daughter fell and broke the teacher's rib with her skate. The teacher was off work for two weeks, but did not hold a grudge. I'm trying to figure out, so how? Like, would she have, like, maybe fallen forward, like, so it landed on her back? And then kicked up, and then the skate hoofed the teacher in the gut? I've been trying to figure out the 
the physics of all this uh, since I read. Teacher just Tim's goes down. Kid lands on her. That's all. all That's right. all it is. Kid, well, teacher could have fallen first. Kid goes on top. Either yeah. Way. Yeah. Not the best. <laughs> no, not the best I, at all. What's the uh, gift after that one? Here's a bottle of wine. I'm really sorry, my daughter broke your rib. <laughs> Can you? Would you even be able to enjoy it? Is this Tim's gift card going to get you through rib. the year? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that's not a lot of fun. We're, I, I would, and as far as skating on on cool places, we've talked about this before. But whenever I see those videos of people, I guess it's particularly in like the Lake Louise area, or whenever you see people out on out on a lake of, with its black ice yes. and they're surrounded by mountains or forests or whatever, I just think. I want to go there. I've done Lake Louise. It's awesome. How about Clear Lake? A few years ago, when it when it froze absolutely smooth and clear, you could actually see what was going on underneath the ice, and it was it was like a magnifying. Glass. I don't like that. No, it's, that's uncomfortable. It's the way I feel like you feel about lakes, like you don't know what's in there, and I don't want to know what's down there. <laughs> like I like it when it's opaque. Yeah, it's kind of neat, but I'm always scared when I can see when the ice is clear and you can see down like, ah. No. Or you we- see the cracks form, you're on the river trail, and you're like, how deep is this crack, man? Like- <laughs> I know. <laughs> Cross. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Hey, by the way, on Friday, we asked you a question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Cartel violence has broken out in parts of Mexico. Does this impact your desire to visit? 66% say, yes, I'll never go. 21% say, no, I'd still go. 7% say, yeah, I'm canceling my upcoming plans. And just under 7% say, nope, I go every year. You can still vote on that at cjob.com, but we are going to put up a new question for you soon. And before we talk about a medication shortage for adults as it pertains to cold and flu, uh, we're asking you to tell us a story about skating at 204-780-6868 with lots of Manitobans strapping on the skates for the first time over the weekend on the River Trail. What does Cliff say? This has me smiling, you guys. Uh, Hi, guys, it's Cliff. I'm in a wheelchair, and my 9-year-old wanted to go to wheelies roller skating. All her friends couldn't skate, so we made a train. Behind my electric chair. Oh, we had <laughs> a blast. That's terrific. Isn't that fantastic? Right on, Cliff. Thanks for sharing that story. That just paints a wonderful picture. So tell us a story about skating, whether it's when you were learning to skating or maybe you got a funny story about your kids learning to skate. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win passes for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Now let's talk about how pharmacies across Canada are experiencing shortages of adult cold and flu medication with many pharmacy shelves having little to no inventory. Yeah, it might not be the medication. It might be the things you use to cope with your cold and flu. We first saw this happening a few months ago with medication for kids, and now we're seeing empty shelves for the same meds for adults. I mentioned earlier, Neocitrin is my go-to when I'm feeling runny nosy or a little achy or coffee, and that's the way I self-medicate, Loren, and it's becoming increasingly difficult, if not impossible, to get my hands on. Tim Smith is the Pharmacy Practice Advisor for Pharmacists Manitoba and joins us more now to share more. Good morning, Tim. Morning. So first of all, just describe what you're seeing uh, in your line of work, where you go, and what you're hearing from fellow pharmacists. 
Uh, we're seeing widespread shortages on some of the common products that contain uh, common cough and cold ingredients all across the shelves. As you said in the intro, you know, we had a shortage of children's products a little bit earlier in the season, and now it's uh, shifted over to adult products as well. Why? Uh, increased demand seems to be the answer. There doesn't seem to be any indications that there's been manufacturing disruptions. It really is just about the demand of people taking them off the shelves because we've had a hard respiratory illness season. Tim, are we seeing a return to normal levels, normal stock of the children's medicines or not? Uh, for children's Tylenol and Advil, we are seeing uh, stock on shelves. Uh, many pharmacies are keeping it behind the counter to manage their supply, but we have seen improvements in that regard, but not so much on the actual cough and cold medications, so things like cough suppressants and things like that. Those are still in short supply even for the children. So you talk about that demand, Tim, and of course, even in our own office, we can each go around the wheel here and talk about the couple days we've been flu-like or sniffly or not COVID per se, but just not feeling like ourselves. And so what are you seeing in terms of that aisle of people coming in and how that might compare to previous years from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, every year around this time, uh, you know, we see a lot of people who are getting ill with, the, you know, the common cold, uh, influenza and similar illnesses. This year, we've seen an uptick in RSV and COVID is very much still in the picture here. So it really seems to be that perfect storm of people all getting ill at the same time and looking for treatment. Are people coming in asking for preventative measures? Like say, say maybe the people in their house have been getting sick or people at work are getting sick and they're coming in and saying, hey, I don't, I, I, I'm hoping to avoid this. Do you have something that might help me with that? Um, I, I would love if more people came and asked about that because then we'd be talking about vaccines. And, and that really is one of the best uh, preventative measures people can take. Make sure you get your flu vaccine and that you've had a COVID uh, booster within the past six months. So what's the solution here? What's the solve, Tim? Is it just, are we just going to have to wait this out? Have you had any promises from your suppliers in terms of when, when things might get back to quote unquote normal? Yeah, availability dates, uh, you know, kind of are a moving target. Uh, you know, this particular shortage will eventually sort itself out. Uh, when? Who knows? But it really does feel like playing whack-a-mole in that, you know, when one product comes available, you know, what's the next drug shortage we'll be dealing down the line. I don't want people to give up hope, though. What I would encourage people to do who are experiencing symptoms or who have family members who are is talk to their pharmacist, uh, describe the symptoms that you have, and we'll help you find the best product that's available for you or alternative non-medication uh, solutions to help you you or your family members feel better. Is there a case out there where you talked about just being, it's not that there's a lack of supply, there's just more people coming in for these cold and flu medications. Are you seeing any sort of hoarding going on where someone might be trying to stock up their supply and therefore pharmacies are having to limit how much they give out to people say you can only buy one because we're trying to limit the, you know, the shortage? Yeah, I haven't personally seen, you know, evidence that people are doing that, but that is always a concern. And so we want to encourage people, you know, not to get medications, you know, for the idea that I might need this down the road. Leave the, the stock that is on the shelves right now for families who are going through this right now. And families who are experiencing symptoms, please, uh, you know, talk to a pharmacist and make sure that you are getting the right medication for your circumstances or your family members and take only what you need. Let's say I stop at a pharmacy to get something. I can't find anything. I go home. I, you know, sort of root around in my cupboard and find some cold medication that maybe has been sitting in there for two, three, four years. Uh, Does this stuff expire? Yeah, uh, medications do have expiry dates on them. Um, It's not necessarily that the medication is considered to be toxic after the expiry date, but that date is based upon the time at which it can be guaranteed to be a certain percentage of the, the dose that's listed on the label. So medication that's past its expiry date may not be as effective, and it's not something that, you know, as a licensed healthcare professional, we can endorse or encourage people to consume. 
Tim, how have the pricing uh, schedules changed, if at all, with regard to some of these medications when you do, in fact, have them? Are, are they more expensive now than they have been in years past? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think prices do gradually go up. I mean, we see, you know, inflation hits all sectors here, but I, I'm not sure that this is an area where we've seen the, the big increases that, you know, we see in some other areas like food, for example. Um, but but certainly, you know, pricing does impact, you know, the, the, the manufacturer's ability to get product on shelves and, uh, you know, stores' ability to stock it. So, I mean, that could be something that we have to keep an eye on, uh, you know, in months and years to come. One of the big concerns, and I'm speaking here as a mom, and there's lots of parents in our audience too, Tim, is when, when we were seeing those shortages for the kids' medication, you worried a bit because you thought, I can't, you know, I don't want, I don't want to let this fever persist at a, a high level without some sort of intervention. As an adult, should I have that same sort of concern if I'm going two, three days with a high fever? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is, you know, not always the messaging that, that, People want to hear, but you know, sometimes you know the, the symptoms. Although we want to make people comfortable, you know, not every fever or not every symptom needs to be treated. Uh, you know, in many cases, we're talking about viral infections that you know that will eventually run their course. And you know, treating the symptoms is about making people feel comfortable, not necessarily about altering the course of the condition. We do want to have the products on the shelves that make people feel comfortable, but in some cases, you know, we may have to resort to you know non-medication measures and waiting things out. Or if it is a condition that is more serious. And that might, you know, require referral to, you know, your primary care practitioner for some additional care. Tim Smith, the Pharmacy Practice Advisor for Pharmacists Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Feel free to weigh in as well at 204-780-6868. Have you recently been to a pharmacy looking for something for your cold or flu-like symptoms and come up, bupkis, can't find the neocitrin. I'm curious what people would say to this. So, you know, there's always the talk with your doctor and your pharmacist about when your kids have fevers, when they have colds, that, that that's not always a bad thing, right? The idea that you're working through the infection, so you don't want to obviously... You don't want to medicate them too quickly. And so as a parent, you're very cognizant. Well, let's like give this a couple hours or maybe even a couple days, and then we'll apply A, B, or C. And as an adult, like, are you way more like, ah, I'm going straight to the pill? Oh, we, we preach patience right, with for others, kids. but when it comes to us, it's like, give me the stuff. Give like, me the good stuff and give it to me right, right now. Right, like I'm going to neocitrin now to prevent what I think is coming. And meanwhile, I wouldn't do that to my child. Well... Yeah, I, th- I think we, we parent that way on a couple of different fronts. Oh, sure. Now that you mentioned Get it. off your screen as I hold my screen and watch a show. <laughs> Put your phone down. Mama's watching a show. And answering work emails and <laughs> various Teams chats. Hey, is Neocitrin the one with the commercials where it used to be the St. Bernard carrying around the Neocitrin? I think that's NyQuil, no? Oh. Yeah. I-, I would have to double check, too. I won't say uh, yay or nay. Okay. I'm going to do some Googling here. Uh, but unless you can confirm it, 204 No, you're right. Yeah? 1990s, a sweet old St. Bernard in this video. Okay, look at that. Carrying like a little wooden flask around his neck. Like it looks like he came off a ship. Like he's got a ship barrel. I don't know that I've ever even had neocitrin. Oh, I'm gonna get no. That's not how I sound like do a we, pusher. We, I'm gonna get you some. Do you call that? Did you call that a cask? It's a cask. That's a cask. Cask ah. of neocitrin. Okay. We should also add more casks to our life. <laughs> I uh, use that word in probably three decades. Some some uh, pubs have beer on cask. It's a different, fo- I, 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 different I don't form know. of on tap. Well, yeah, because they gotta like pump it or something. I don't really understand how it works, but. Uh, 
apparently it's quite the quite the process. No, wait. Introduce me this weekend. Is this a Heineken commercial? I may have just got this all wrong. I'll, I'll have to get back to you. I'm Heineken, Neil Citron. commercial right They now. have the same medicinal uh, adfects. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In case you missed it earlier, heads up that at 9.35, Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets is going to join us to talk about his new kids book that he co-wrote to help kids and teach them that it's okay to reach out, to not suffer in silence. So we're looking forward to share that with you at 9.35. We're going to talk more about meetings and a big change that a big company is making to reduce the number of meetings that clog up the workplace. But before that, we have a couple other things we want to just quickly revisit. We're asking you first to tell us a story about skating for a chance to win renovation show tickets for this weekend. And what do we have here, Mackling? Uh, it's a great piece of advice, actually, from a listener. Do not try skating for the first time on outdoor ice. It's archaic. Smooth, flooded ice is how to start. I've been skating for 55 of my 57 years, and even I am nervous on outdoor ice. It can be daunting. The cracks, the bumps, etc. Sure. It's not predictable. And so if you can do it, if you can find a, an arena with public skating, I, that actually is not a bad way to go at all. And then another great tip here, Loren, sharpen your skates. Nothing will shatter your confidence faster than throwing a couple banana peels on your feet to, quote, see how things go. Yeah, I have a pair of skates in the car right now. I got to take to get sharpened after work. So it makes a difference. You think it doesn't, but uh, you learn pretty quickly. And then on the medicine front, cold and flu medication for adults. We saw the shortage for kids over the last several months. Well, now it's made its way up to adult medication. What does Stephanie say? Stephanie says, I've been sick with the cold since last week. And speaking of expired meds, some of the meds I had in my cabinet are expired. But with the shortages, it felt better than taking nothing. I went to Safeway yesterday and was lucky to find a box of Sinusab as I'm battling a sinus cold. But yes, the shelves were basically empty. And Greg, that had us talking to a pharmacist at 735, said, you don't always need meds. There are different ways you can go about it. And Kat and Gimli says what? There really is no substitute for old-fashioned homemade hot lemon drink with honey. It'll make you feel so much better and soothe the cough. But? Uh, what I want to know from uh, Kat is uh, rum or rye. That's right. What is the <laughs> magic so, elixir there? I don't there? think the, the phrase hot toddy, it, I think toddy by definition is the alcohol. And I'm completely making that up. But mm. I don't no, I don't I, want a hot toddy right. with no toddy in it. Oh, no, you got to have the toddy. <laughs> and, and again, I don't know what the toddy is. But in my world, the toddy is the toddy. Toddy makes you naughty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Continue to weigh in on that at 204-780-6868. Now we want to talk about meetings with the question, how many meetings would you say you have at your workplace each week? Would you like to see more or less? There's been all sorts of changes to the workplace in the past couple of years, in part because of what we learned or didn't learn in the pandemic. And you may have felt over the years that you either had more meetings added to your calendar or less because you didn't have that face-to-face contact. And Shopify, it's an Ottawa-based company, and it's basically kicked off this year by clearing its corporate calendar. They've removed some 10,000 events as part of an experiment. Farhan Nathawar is the VP of Engineering for Shopify and explains kind of how it's going to work. The idea is kind of new year, new resolutions to, you know, leave Slack groups that you're no longer participating in and clean the calendars. I think that uh, at the beginning, folks are surprised, right, to see an empty calendar coming into the new year. But again, subtraction is harder than addition, right? It's easy to add things. And so we wanted to have a two-week moratorium as well to not re-add those meetings so you can really figure out what's important. So basically what we did was we removed all recurring meetings with more than two people. 
And then we also implemented this, our, our re reaffirmed our strategy around no meeting Wednesday. So we just deleted everything from the calendar for folks. Would you like to see that in your workplace? Or does, does sometimes you feel like you don't have enough communication? Because I know that can be a complaint sometimes too, depending on where you're at. Well, meetings don't necessarily mean communication. We work in a communications-oriented company, and sometimes communication is very strong internally here, as it isn't at a lot of places. So just because you're getting together doesn't mean that information is being shared effectively. I did some quick math there with the Shopify thing. Deleting 10,000 events, let's just pretend they only had five people each at them. That's 50,000 uh, people events. Say they're 15 minutes each, uh, 12,500 hours times say $30 an hour they're saving close to half a million dollars oh wow with just that one mm. move and that's you know really taking things on the low side that, that, that's a minimum that it's saving them and so you, you have to I often wonder how much is it costing our company to get together for an hour like this it when you do the math on it it's a staggering amount or what is it costing to not get together because what they're doing is they're calling it a two-week cooling off period so they've pulled all these events out of your calendar we're not going to do them for two minutes and as he said you can add them back in the idea would be like when i get to the end of this experiment did i find that i really missed that tuesday morning debrief because it helped me get my week started or did you realize man i did not I've been going to a lot of Tuesday meetings that I didn't eat at all. Yeah, and because I know that over the last year, our company even has dropped a lot of meetings as well, sure. just as an effort to try to to, to give us some more breathing room. Um, one of our listeners, Tony, sent me a, a message on the Instantgrams, and um, it's, one of them was just a funny meme on how to let your coworker know that you will not be attending their Friday afternoon meeting, <laughs> um, but that's by delivering a roundhouse kick to them. But then there was a second one uh, from an account that calls itself uh, Workplace Satire, and it says, new rule, if you book a meeting late Friday, you have to justify why the meeting wasn't important enough to happen earlier in the week and why it's urgent enough that it can't wait till Monday. And I know that uh, for a lot of people, because I talked to some people like, really, I got to, I got to, you're booking me for a meeting. Somebody who works similar hours to us is like, I got to stick around at work until noon for a meeting. Like our day, we, we typically leave around uh, anywhere from 1030 to 12 o'clock. Uh, but our day starts at four o'clock in the morning. So when you could the, argue it starts before that. Yeah. So Friday at 11 o'clock might seem like, Oh, it gets a nice that you get to go home at 11. Yeah, my first alarm went off at 2.30. So if you're dragging me into a meeting, and I remember this happened once, I don't know how many years ago now, three, four years ago. The three of us were getting ready to leave on a Friday. We were all in a great, I was I was in particularly a great mood. And then the boss at the time pulled us in for a meeting, and it wasn't a particularly happy one. I can't even remember what was discussed. But, I, but instead of like being thrilled the weekend was here, I was angry. For the rest of the weekend. And I thought, don't you ever do that to me again. It depends, I suppose, on is it a team-focused meeting or a company-wide meeting? Because on the opposite end, with all the different shifts people work, you'd have somebody who works 2 to 11. And, well, now i got to come in early for a, a noon meeting or dial into this too, right? Because they're on the – now i got to kickstart my day off yeah. starting early. Like there's no good time depending on what it is. If it's a company-wide message, you're not going to win. If it's a team-specific meeting – you can pick better times. Yeah, Friday meetings make me think something bad's about to come down the pipe. Yeah. yeah. No question. And in a sales-oriented uh, environment, a lot of times those Friday meetings mean the boss is certain that there are certain people only work until noon on Friday. By the way, <laughs> if this is you, you could go for a toddy because a toddy by definition is a drink made of alcoholic liquor with hot water, sugar, and sometimes spices. Okay. Toddy. Add it 
to your life. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to talk to Derek Taylor, weekend review of sports in just a moment. But before that, while I am enjoying the Bon Jovi song that's being played right now, I got a piece of music that pertains to some news that's coming this week. I'm just curious to know if you remember this music. Can you feel Ringing any bells? Mackling, McNabb? I don't know, but it kind of nope. makes me want to either go to a hockey game or, like, have a Pepsi. <laughs> it's the uh, the Spirited Energy theme song. Oh. The Spirited Energy. Remember that slogan from Manitoba? No wonder it's uh, not ringing any bells. <laughs> I always loved the music. Wasn't a big fan of the campaign, but the music. I loved this music. But what's happening today as it pertains to slogans in Manitoba? Well, we're waiting to hear later today, of course, under Travel Manitoba. It's Canada's Heart Beats. That's the slogan. And it sounds like we might get a uh, maybe a fresh refresher on some branding for Manitoba. You know, we had uh, new stuff for Winnipeg and... That came down the pipe last year, and I've already, I'm blanking as I talk out loud. Made from what's real. Made from what's real. Thank you for Winnipeg. And so slogans are a big thing. Branding's a big deal. Nailing sort of the heart of the continent in in a phrase is a big deal. And and how do you do that? And does it adequately portray how you feel about your province or your city or your town when these slogans come up with? Even corporate branding, you see it sometimes. And even with our own company, I think, oh, I don't don't feel that color. Right? (laughs) I'm, I'm not feeling the chartreuse, you know? <laughs> chartreuse. I don't even know what that is. I got to look that up. Uh, oh, go ahead, Mackling. Oh, I just uh, just wanted to let you know I had something else I wanted to say when you guys were done here because I just got an email that uh, tells me the number of Taco Bell restaurants in Canada is about to double. <laughs> did you get this email, Brett? I may have uh, forwarded you that email. Yes. Oh, you did send it. <laughs> I was just kick- clicking through here. Yeah, new lead story. I see the uh, the subject line now. Sorry, Brett, I didn't mean to steal your thunder here. Yeah, two <laughs> Red Berry restaurants. They own 14 Taco Bells in Ontario, and apparently they're going to expand and open another 200 across Canada, including in Manitoba. So that makes me excited because they all went to they all went to the two and one the kfc taco bells and if these are going to be standalone taco bells maybe we'll get one like they've got in las vegas yeah that party lounge they've got a cantina with the alcohol and everything in phoenix downtown as well too it's quite a party place so in the meantime let's talk sports and why don't we start on the ice because we're talking skating this morning and we've got a good story from laura that we'll share with you in a few minutes um but uh, speaking of what's happening on the ice Another super good weekend for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, the Jets edged the lightning of Tampa Bay Friday before a full house at Canada Life Center. 4-2. Capped the weekend with a 7-4 win yesterday afternoon in downtown Winnipeg over the Vancouver Canucks. Just over 14,000 in attendance yesterday. The Jets have led to, yet to lose in 2023 and have secured five wins in a row. Now, Derek Taylor has been in the host chair for our Jets pre- and post-game coverage since the calendar flipped dt joins us now derek good morning good morning are you the good luck charm the jets have been searching for well you tell me uh the bombers set an all-time record for the club for wins in a season and then the jets the jets are three wins in regulation of the three games in which i've been 
you know, panically hosting the the uh, pregame show. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I just don't think. I just can't believe in coincidences. I am a lucky angel. I like it a lot, and and so the the vibe is uh, pretty strong right now. Eight of their next nine on the road, but. Let's talk about what happened over the weekend, Derek. The Jets welcome back three of their top six forwards and one of their top six D-men Friday night. That's not easy to do to integrate that many new faces into a lineup all at once. Oh, for sure. And and they all looked like they absolutely belonged, right? Nate Schmidt back in, on the defensive core and then uh, Perfetti Wheeler and Nikolai Ehlers uh, back among the forwards. And, and to beat Tampa Bay and to do it holding... Uh, Tampa Bay to zero power play goals on their four attempts was a fantastic effort. And, and each guy gave you just a little taste in that game of like, oh, okay, that's what uh, that's what he brings. That's what Wheeler brings. Okay, this is what Perfetti can do. Oh, Ehlers with the no-look uh, shot attempt in the Tampa game, even though he was absolutely exhausted by the end of that game. Oh, that's a, that's a very nice sample. And then Sunday just got even better. So a lot of talk and focus, of course, over the past couple of years has been on PLD. Pierre-Luc Dubois had six points in two games this weekend. And there's been some, I was listening to Greg have this chat in the newsroom this morning about just the idea that he's sounding more and more like a leader. What are your impressions? Well, it's interesting. In that Calgary game three games ago, the first one of the year, it, he was very scrambly, it looked like. And he couldn't, you know, he would try a pass to a teammate and, no, oh, I dropped it and now, now it's gone nowhere in particular. The Calgary game was off, but ever since then, it's just it's just locked in. He's agitating, and and then he is just producing on the offensive and four assists in yesterday's game, and you know just right in step with Wheeler and Ehlers and and that in that line, it's he's just been fantastic. So uh, it, Paul Edmonds in the in the post game yesterday brought up the uh, you know he's he has said he wants to go, so maybe we enjoy him while he's here. Uh, certainly enjoying him. What, you know these last couple of games, and exactly what that what the Jets need, right? In that you need two lines at least going as you get toward the playoffs, and you try to challenge kind of the bigger dogs in the in the NHL, and they are absolutely flying thanks to uh, Pierre Luc Dubois. Moving from hockey to football for a moment, the NFL playoffs get underway next weekend. All the matchups determined yesterday. Of course, we all know what happened last Monday night in Cincinnati. How about this to open the Bills-Patriots game in Orchard Park, New York, yesterday afternoon? Colt puts his foot into the ball. It's going to be short. Fielded at the four by Hines. Coming straight up the middle to the 20. Cuts it back at the 25. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the 40. 50. Down to the 40. 35. 30. 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown. Naheem Hines. 96 yards. Quite the way to reset the conversation for the Bills. Yeah, absolutely. A great way for them to start that game, the, the first play since the DeMar Hamlin is it. And then, oh, by the way, uh, Hines returned a second kickoff for a touchdown later on uh, in the game. And, and it's unusual. I had to go and look because there have been only four kickoff returns for touchdowns in a 32-team league this season. As they're, they're trying to phase that essentially out of the game, and most kickers just drill it through the end zone. Uh, Hines getting two is an unusual experience. And uh, as you guys know, when you try to do that in the, in the CFL, uh, the referee throws a, a brutal flag and robs Sony of a million dollars. So it's great to actually see it come through in professional football. But uh, it, it makes a makes for a beautiful story for the Bills who, who win their game. They weren't able to get first place, you know, and the bye in the AFC. But 
uh, they go in as maybe the second favorite to win the Super Bowl, which would be a, an incredible story. Well, you touched on something there, DT. Let's broach that very quickly. The NFL's aversion to kickoffs. I, I know some people see it as the most dangerous play in football, but my goodness, uh, that that was pure Canadian Football <laughs> League drama uh, twice yesterday. I don't know why the NFL doesn't want more of this. Yeah, it's got to be just the injuries because you could do the CFL, move the kickoffs back five yards. The, the NFL has been doing the opposite. They've been moving the kickoff up. And, yeah, it's it's an exciting play when it happens, but there's just – it's 22 guys running full speed at each other and, and problems can occur. But, man, when it, when it breaks right, it is, it is super exciting, as you can imagine what Bills fans were feeling uh, on that play we just heard. Derek Taylor joining us live every Monday morning on 680 CJOB to talk about sports. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 845 with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Do you have a team you cheer for in the uh, NFL, Mackling? Eh, not so much anymore. Yeah. I'd probably uh, cheer for the Vikings a little bit, but, the, you know, I've told the story about how they've broken my heart far too many times. So it will be just with a little bit of interest that I will follow the Vikings, maybe the Dolphins, but uh, Cincinnati Bengals are the team in our household. Alexander is all in on the Bengals. How did so. that happen? Uh, well, he met Milt Stiegel when he was little, sure, little, okay. little. I used to go to Cincinnati a lot on business, so he has a few Cincinnati Bengals items in his in his uh, tickle trunk now. And uh, so now he's got an old Boomer Esiason jersey from the 90s of mine that he wears and, and Winston Rose of the Blue Bombers played for the Bengals. So he, he's got a lot of logical reasons as to why he cheers for the for the Bengals. Yeah, one of my buddies is a huge Bengals fan as well. Uh, last playoff uh, season was very stressful for him, especially the anticipation leading up to the Super Bowl, which of course led in heartbreak for him, but uh, maybe this year. Uh, by the way, we're asking you to tell us a story about skating. Laura had an interesting one in River Heights. Growing up in the 70s, there were rinks at the elementary school with a warm-up shack staffed by some guy. There was a wood stove in the middle with a rail around. If you stood too close for too long, you'd melt your snow pants. We lived six houses from Queenston School and would walk up in our skate guards and be there most of the day. Good times. Some jets lived close to the rink, so we played shinny with guys like Anders Hedberg Get out of every here. now and then. Ha! <laughs> Laura, I want more information. <laughs> that is neat, Laura. Thanks for sharing. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets joins us at 9.35 to talk about a new book that he's written, co-written for kids, and it's on the subject of mental health. So we are very excited for that conversation. Again, that's at 9.35. By the way, our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Shopify, Ottawa-based Shopify, has removed 10,000 events from its corporate calendar to reduce meetings and increase productivity. How does it work in your place? We have too many meetings. We have just the right amount of meetings. Actually, we could use more meetings. Communication is brutal. Or we don't have meetings. Not the kind of job. Cast your vote at cjob.com. What would your answer be? Uh, I think we have just the right amount. I think since uh, you know, since the, the pandemic hit and we moved to the digital, I think at first maybe there was there were probably too many 
meetings. Uh, but and that was largely because we were, you know, we were all sort of like. <laughs> We were all trying to figure it out. Is you know they, they they sent everybody home, and then suddenly it's like, well, I we can't really talk to each other anymore because we're not in the same room. We're all working from home, uh, so I think it was good to have those meetings. But then it just felt like, oh my god, I was getting notifications you know, sometimes twice a day. Like, okay, another meeting is coming. Like, well, Teams released data last spring, and I think the increase was two hundred and fifty percent, like a two hundred fifty percent increase in meetings because, there, as you point out, that you had to schedule everything because otherwise you weren't able to talk to staff or fellow employees. And then they did this whole meeting reset, you know, a ton of different companies saying, okay, we can scale back. I think you'll find that you'll take some away and have to add them back onto your calendar because you'll realize you'll need them. And I don't know about listeners out there, but you know, we have uh, big corporate meetings as well, where they try to give you a corporate or overview. And there are part, there have been times where I sit in there and listen to it and think, I don't really understand what's happening here. But if they don't do that, am I then going to be the employee that says, well, I don't understand what's going on with this direction. Mm. And then they're going to say, well, we tried to tell you, Loran, you just uh, didn't listen. Sword for sure. That idea of trying to keep your employees informed of what's going on internally as an organization. Uh, sometimes you get overwhelmed by it. A lot of people, your eyes just glaze over from the email. And we're going to have our corporate review of 2022 uh, this Friday, <laughs> typically <laughs> at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, sorry, no chance, Sundance. I will be doing something else for sure at that time. But on the other hand, you mentioned it, Lorenz. Then if they don't share that information, then they're accused of not being communicative. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I don't mind meetings. Uh, I just, as long as they have an agenda, I never liked meetings that didn't have a written out agenda. What are we trying to get through? What time are we starting? What time are we trying to be finished? Just like our radio program. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we know what we want to talk about. We know when we have to start doing it. We know when we're finished and some uh, points in between are, are, are always good. Yeah, like we had uh, some diversity, equity and inclusion training uh, a few months back that was actually really helpful and quite important. But it was it was long. I think it was seven hours total mm-hmm. uh, scattered over three sessions. But in each of the three sessions, they would come on and say, OK, we're going to do this until appropriately approximately such and such time. We're going to take a break here. Mm-hmm. So even though I was sitting there on my floor with the computer at my coffee table because that's my home office um i knew that okay i'm gonna be able to stand up after and well i I could turn my camera off and stand up and stretch if i needed to but it was nice to at least have that outline so i didn't mind it seemed like oh my gosh seven hours but once they laid it out it's okay that's not bad i wonder how the return to meetings will work with people back in the office, whether you've just come back to office or you're about to, or you've been there for a while, because we talked about how hard it was for eye contact. And so now your boss has to come back in and look at, look at you and see you like try not to roll your eyes or whatever might be the reaction. <laughs> There's no, I can't mute the camera. I, I can't, can't turn the my, camera off. I can't turn the camera off. And, they, like, and likewise, I- they can't turn the camera off to like <laughs> pretend to sneeze, but really they're trying not to strangle you across the room, right? And you can't cook eggs in the middle of those uh, meetings once you're back in person. <laughs> I got an email from right one, of, one of Alexander's teachers saying, um, can you please let Alexander know that uh, cooking in the middle of geography classes is not allowed. (laughs) It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
Last chance to get on the four-pack for the Winnipeg Renovation Show happening this weekend at the Convention Centre. We're asking you to tell us a story about skating, whether it's something from when you learned how to skate or maybe just something fun that happened while you were skating because we were, you know, I was out at the Forks at the River Trail over the weekend walking from the Osborne Bridge down to the Forks and I saw all kinds of people learning to skate for the first time. It was like, not just me guessing, like it was very clear that these people had never been in skates and I just thought, Good for you for giving it a shot. Because I still haven't tried. We've talked about this, have we not, as a team? We are yeah. like, let's set a date on the calendar. Greg, Brett, Loren, we'll go. Forche, are you in? Oh, I'm in, all right. All right, we'll go for a little fork skate. And it could be five minutes of skating, yeah. five hours of forks, food, and drink. <laughs> I mean, I don't care how this goes. We get out there, we give it the old college, try to take a photo like the kids do to prove that you did it, and uh, move on. So let's block out six hours. Yeah. And uh, whatever that looks like in terms of... In 20 terms minutes of for me to try to tie my own skates. or otherwise. Oh. 30 minutes to try to get down to the ice without falling. I'm going to need you to tie my skates, Loren. I don't think I can get down there right now <laughs> to tie them properly. <laughs> okay. So, well, you know what? I like the idea of that, and I especially like the idea of food and drink uh, either before or after Dream. at the Forks because I've been meaning to try that wiener pig place. There's so many places I want to try at the Forks. So, in the meantime, we're going to pick a winner at 9.15. Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets joins us at 9.35 to talk about a book that he co wrote it is just now hitting stores but right now we want to discuss an important campaign that's kicked off this month and it's reflective of the sad reality that over 18,000 Manitobans live with dementia and that number is expected to reach nearly 40,000 by 2050 to help set this up this is Marcel Hebert whose spouse has been diagnosed with dementia it's a very isolating illness your social world kind of decreases and gets really, really small. You start disconnecting with a lot of people. I think talking to other people that are going through similar circumstances kind of helps you understand that you're not alone. Difficult topic, devastating disease, but that's a positive message coming out here. And that is the message this month from the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. You are not Alone, The 2023 Alzheimer's Awareness Month campaign has kicked off with the theme, Community Changes Everything. And to learn more, we're joined by Program Director Aaron Crawford. Aaron, good morning. Good morning. I really like, I know this is a difficult topic and we'll get into the statistics and the numbers and the impact of Alzheimer's, but that whole idea of here we are, we know where we're at, we know this is difficult for a lot of folks that idea of community changing everything is such an important message in my mind. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, even listening to you guys talk about skating, right? You're willing to go try something if, if you got some buddies that'll go with you. Everything that you are facing and challenging is just a little more doable if you're not in it by yourself, right? And so that really is the message here today. A dementia diagnosis is tough, and there's no way around it. It's going to be. But the Alzheimer's Society is here, and we can help you through it, and we can make it a little bit easier to walk that path that you're going to be walking. So as I read this next couple of numbers, I'm kind of flipping the script, I guess, a bit, Aaron, because 18,000 Manitobans are affected by dementia and Alzheimer's today, almost 40,000 by 2050. So they're startling numbers. But when Mm -hmm. we talk about finding the strength maybe in that number 
we have people to lean on. So what can we do, first of all, just to be aware of perhaps the people in our own life or the things we need to watch for when it comes for, with Alzheimer's? Yeah, a great question, because sometimes when we even see sort of some of the signs in somebody else that we think, uh oh, maybe something's not something's going on here. Our inclination sometimes is kind of to leave that alone. And oh, I don't want to pry and I don't want to embarrass them. But when we listen to Marcel's story, he's talking about how isolating that can be and your social circle really shrinks. So one of the things that I hope people get out of this campaign this month is an awareness just Go to the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba's website, and we have all sorts of information there on what does a dementia diagnosis look like? Like, what are some of those signs that might be it? And what are some really simple ways that you can support somebody with dementia so that, you know, you don't need to take all kinds of training in, to do that. You can, but there are simple ways that you can respond and support so that people feel that sense of community. Because you're right, there's 18,400 people with a dementia diagnosis, but they don't all know about each other because sometimes you really do shrink back into your own world when you get that diagnosis. And the more people can keep engaging, the better off they'll be, the better quality of life they'll have. So first link, uh, because part of the focus of the campaign is to bring awareness Mm -hmm. uh, to the first link program. What is it? So super simple. It's a phone-based program where you call us or we can call you and offer just really simple individual support. What's going on with you? How is it going? What is really challenging for you? What do you need more information about? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you gone here yet? So that kind of thing. And that's really your first link, hence the name, into the supports and services and resources that are out there when you have a dementia diagnosis in your family. And so we really encourage people to either ask for a referral to the First Link program at the Alzheimer's Society or to just give us a call yourself and we'll connect you with one of our coordinators and they'll talk to you about your unique situation and point you in the direction of all kinds of things that could be helpful for you. Erin, we've discussed this part of it for years, but just maybe talk a little bit about care partners and the impact. If I get a diagnosis myself of dementia or Alzheimer's, that's going to be a difficult time for me to process, to to understand and think about what's coming next for me. But I know it's going to impact my wife, my kids, uh, lots of people around me. So we heard from Marcel saying that his wife, Ida, was diagnosed at 55 that hits close to home for a lot of us just talk about you know those who suddenly have to become care partners yeah i mean dementia is progressive and ultimately it's terminal and so the path is going to be a challenging one and it really does mostly fall to families or friends Um, You know, if there isn't close family or friends, neighbors even sometimes um, to provide that increasing level of support that's going to be necessary as the years progress. That could be emotional support, but it can also be just support with activities of daily living. And that can become a 24 hour a day job. And at the same time as you're doing that, you've got these really complex emotional things going on with it because you're kind of grieving somebody who still is there with you, but not at all in the way that they once were. Um, They've changed so much that your role with them changes. And so even who you used to be has changed. And, And all of that is so difficult for people to manage. And they're 
sort of energy and emotional reserves really drain quickly. And so it's important that they get those supports themselves as the care partner so they can keep going because it's going to take a lot. Erin, before we let you go, and we do have to go, but where do we turn for more information uh, from the society? Alzheimer.mb.ca or Google us, Alzheimer's Study in Manitoba, or 204-943. Uh, oh, I shouldn't have started saying that. 943-6622. <laughs> okay. Erin Crawford, Program Director for Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Once again, Community Changes Everything. It's the 2023 Alzheimer's Awareness Month campaign. It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. We're talking about skating stories because the Nestawea River Trail expanded over the weekend from the Forks down to the Osborne Bridge. So I went for a walk both days, did not strap on skates, just walked up to the Forks and around to the Norwood Bridge and back. And I counted, I don't know, at least a dozen people who were just learning to skate very clearly, like learning to skate because they were just taking baby (laughs) steps and they had their hands out and this kind of look on their face like, don't fall, don't fall. And I thought, good for you. You're like, good for you. And some of them were by themselves. They're just like, forget it. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to learn how to enjoy winter in Manitoba. When you started telling this story this morning, I was like, this is going to go two ways. Brett's going to think this is great and has a big goofy smile on his face, or you're sitting back going, wah, you will <laughs> fall here and I shut laugh. <laughs> Look at these idiots <laughs> trying to skate. But no, it, I, I thought it was, it was just, it was so wonderful to be out there. So we're asking you for your skating stories. Greg, we had that story from Laura, who was talking about skating uh, at Queenston in River Heights and and getting to play shinny with guys like Anders Hedberg uh, from the Winnipeg Jets. Well, here's a story from Curtis involving the Bombers. That's right. Uh, 11-year-old Curtis had a championship game and in goal for the other team, future Blue Bomber, Kevin Nealis was in goal. I got the puck, says Curtis, passed it back to the defense and went right past Kevin Nealis and straight into the net. They lost by a goal and uh, that was... um, that was Curtis's last ever hockey oh, game. Oh, boy. Ah, sorry to hear that, Curtis. Here's another runner-up from Mike who says, I learned to skate on a neighborhood pond in northern New Brunswick. As I was not a great skater, I was usually being thrown into the net as a goalie. My big break in learning new skills was at the local indoor rink on a free skate Saturday when I left being a board hugger and ventured out to center ice, and I never looked back. My confidence soared that day. But for some reason, my friend still threw me in the net. Uh, so maybe this ties into what one of our other listeners was saying, was if you're trying to learn how to skate, do it indoors mm-hmm. if you can, mm-hmm. as opposed to being outdoors. But just the ice is natural, uh, not natural, so it's smooth, right? I remember being on the slough in the front of our house on the farm, and it felt like you were skating sometimes on the frozen waves, like the, 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 the oh, slough yeah? had frozen with these different little inclines. It wasn't as dramatic as that, but as a kid, you know, and then there would be big cutouts in the ice that you'd trip over. So you had to just learn to jump and fall. And that's why you wore ski pants, extra padding. Yeah, because I, I hear even when the when the people are skating past me on the trail, they do a wonderful job on that trail on on both rivers, the Assiniboine and the Red. But you can hear the the bumps and the, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, the, the, or, the, or where somebody might pick something with their skate in the ice. And you can see them like that most seasoned skaters I think are prepared for it but the ones who are kind of intermediate you can see they're like whoop they're sort of bouncing around trying to keep their balance so but yeah there's no uh, there's no uh, nothing like artificial ice and one of our listeners said hey can you point out that all the uh, Winnipeg city owned arenas have free 
ice time. Mm-hmm. And they do. I'm just at legacy.w, or pardon me, legacy.winnipeg.ca. You can search that. Bertrand, Billy Mozienko, Sentry, Charlie Gardner, all of them have at least one hour every week where they're open free to the public. Joanne is our winner. Loren Joanne is a 49-year-old first-time skater as of last night. So great. This is so timely. Last night, Joanne says, was my first night skating. We went to the Forks. I was completely confident I would be able to at least stroll down the trail with my friends, knowing I definitely wouldn't be doing spins, but didn't expect it to be that hard. I got on my skates at the building, headed out on the rubber mat, got myself to the ice, and immediately realized, hell no, I wasn't going anywhere but down. My friend thankfully grabbed the blue recycling bin at the shore, and I pushed that down the river to keep myself up. I had so much fun, but we'll definitely need some practice before doing that again. I am so sore today, Joanne says, but was so fun. The weather was beautiful, too. Joanne, congratulations Kudo. for hitting the ice for the first time in your life, and congratulations, you win the four-pack of the Winnipeg Renovation Show tickets for this weekend. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. All morning we've been telling you that Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets, goaltender extraordinaire, now author extraordinaire, co-author, he co-wrote a children's book on the subject of mental health and the importance of making sure to reach out and not suffering in silence. And we've been looking forward to that conversation uh, because it was mentioned to us on Friday. We were talking about Hockey Talks and the mental health initiatives that the True North Youth Foundation and Project 11 are doing. And it just kind of was mentioned off the cuff. The, oh, by the way, Connor Hellebuck uh, co-wrote this book and you can get it in Jet Gear stores. And then we re- re- reached out and said, well, can we talk to him? And they said, yep, Monday at 9.35. And then we just found out like 10 minutes ago that's not going to happen. So we apologize for He's that. We, we're sad. He's skating, and they're getting ready to go on a big road trip, and there's lots going on for him. If you are interested, you can get this book, as you mentioned, at the Jet stores. It's going to go out to a bunch of kids, too. I think 10,000, Greg. 10,000 kids are going to get this book in their right. hot little hands. And it's got two stories, right? And I went through both this morning, and they, they are really cute about the idea about just understanding that when someone's having a bad day, how do you handle that? And for kids, that can be hard because you immediately think, well, what's wrong with what's wrong with them? Bucky Beats the Blues is one story, and is something wrong with Weasel is the other story. So you read halfway through, and then you flip the book around and begin again. And so two separate stories. And, and I heard Connor Hellebuck interviewed on this topic uh, with Sarah Orleski over the weekend. And just this whole idea of parenting changes everything, your perspective on so many things. And that's one of the things that, that Connor mentioned that, you know, yeah, I felt this way. And when I was a kid, I dealt with certain things and thought about different things. And I had nobody to speak to about this. But now I realize that it's commonplace and I want to do what I can to help young people feel comfortable about the notion of feelings and and talking about our feelings and finding someone that you can speak to about that. And so, uh, yeah, this whole idea of bringing mental wellness into the larger picture in terms of being preventative, in terms of it being a conversation that we have before there's an issue. You brought that up, I think, on Friday, Loren, just how we've come such a long way in terms of making mental wellness a priority versus dealing with mental illness. I know we've had listeners in the past. What's the difference? Well, well, they're on 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 the sign of a, on each side of a line, right? One is preventative work. The other is treating something that 
that you have or are dealing with. And asking the question, I, I posed this, if I didn't do it last week, I know I talked about it at Christmas. When you ask someone how you're doing or how you're, how's your health and you get to a certain age and someone says, are you checking in on your health? You had your a heart scare last week and you start to think about the things you need to check on. But when you ask somebody, how are you feeling these days? I think you still people are feeling like the answer is supposed to be like, great, like, you know, I'm walking lots and exercising regularly or that kind of thing. And maybe it should just be your health includes the mental health questions, not just how's your mental health versus physical health. Well, I can tell you this from personal experience, 10, about 10 years ago at our old location at Polo Park, I was doing a, a pretty much a regular segment with Charles Adler Monday, Tuesday mornings at a certain time of the morning. I think it was 1030. And I would come in, no matter what I was doing, if I was doing another job, if I had something else on the go, I would make my way to the Arpolo Park studios. And typically I would be there 20 minutes, half an hour early, just to sort of form my thoughts and get comfortable in the space, etc. And this one morning I showed up just with moments to spare. I went running into the studio and after the segment, Charles Adler looked at me and said, Greg... How are you? I said, I'm fine, Charles. He said, no, no, no. He says, you are never late. You're always here ahead of time. I could tell you were preoccupied in that segment. And I broke down. I said, I'm having a really rough day. Like a really rough day. I had phoned my therapist. I was, I was, uh, that's the day I was, I was writing um, goodbye letters in my head to my kids and to my wife. I was in a really dark place. And Charles Adler recognized and took that extra step to say why he was asking me twice and a third time how I was. And I'm not going to say he saved my life that day, but he just may have. And I took myself immediately to the Health Sciences Center, to the Crisis Center, Mm. to help me deal with what I was going through that day. And I just, like I said, I don't know if I hadn't had that obligation that day, how things would have gone and manifested themselves, I, I, I don't know. But I also do know that without Charles taking the time to take it a step further, things may have gone ultimately very, very differently that day for me. So it's a powerful question. Just a couple words, man. Yeah, and if you're going to ask it, you better be prepared to listen to the answer. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. I wasn't aware of that moment in your in your life. And I think, man, there's a lot of people who had that little part of their brain that goes down the road and says, maybe I'd be better off if. Yep. And that's a pretty common emotion. But I then to be able to explain that to everyone and then to have someone just ask, how are you? Again, you make a great point. Are you ready for the answer when that question gets asked? Yeah, because there are sometimes, like, let's be honest, there are some people you might have in your life, whether it's at work or, I don't know, you're at the store or whatever, where you might not want to ask that question. How are you? Because, you know, you might, if you, like, if I'm on the clock or I don't have time to stop and chat, I just won't. I'll say hi. Like, if I, and it's not because I'm trying to be rude, it's not because I don't care, but if I'm running to the washroom at 9.30, for example, I've got a finite amount of time to get back into the studio, and if I see you, I'm just going to say hi. That's it. I'm not going to say, hi, how are you? Mm -hmm. Because depending on the person, I might lose five minutes, and I know that there are certain people i got to avoid. So it's not that I don't want to ask, I just can't ask you in that particular moment. But if I do want to, if I am going to stop and ask that question, then yeah, it's because I want to know, how are you? And if you aren't doing well, 
uh, then I'd better have the time. If I'm going to ask you that question, then I'd better be able to give you the time that you need yeah. to get it off your chest. Yeah, because the answer isn't always. Ah, Good. Great. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are no, you? And nor should it be. I mean, like the honesty that you showed in that moment was probably equally helpful to the person hearing it to know, like, man, what if I hadn't asked that? And sat there and listened, right? Because the answer, I mean, I think for most of us really isn't fine. You know, fine and fine also implies you're not fine when you say, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Fine's not a positive answer, I don't think. Well, that's quite an acknowledgement. I could have used that information years ago. <laughs> I'm fine, Greg. That when, when, I am when not the, fine. The women in my life in particular, <laughs> and I don't like to, you know, distinguish, but this, I think we can all agree. Fine. You know, yeah, when I get seven fines in a row, uh, that's decidedly not no. fine. No, I'm fine. Yeah, the shorter the answers, <laughs> probably not a good sign. Nope, got it. I'm fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine. Uh, it sounds like you kind of enjoy it. When you say fine, it really means, no, you just continue to sit there and do what you're doing. I'm fine. How about that? I'm usually pretty honest with that. Do you need help with the groceries? Nope, I'm fine. No, I usually, I usually try that. I think, I think what you've just displayed in this moment, though, Greg, is so very important is to also answer that question. Because if you're at that tipping point, you don't want to go the other way. And everyone can acknowledge that we are better off having Greg here with us. So I'm glad that that question got asked. Some days. All days. I never say fine to you. <laughs> I get it sometimes, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, I sort of bring it on myself, time. resting Brad face. But in, yeah, I mean, the, the, the mental, being able to answer the question, I mean, good on Charles for pushing you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good on you for, for actually being able to open up and answer the question. But it's important to, to, to be mindful of these things. And it's just mental... Wellness in general, Loren, you mentioned my heart health scare last week. I got, I monitor, check my blood pressure over the weekend. It's down. It's still high, but it's way down from when I went to the ER. But it's just like I'm starting to think about what, obviously, the physical things I need to do. I mean, it's pretty simple. When I checked with Dr. Google, it was all like common sense stuff like get more sleep, eat better, get more exercise, drink more water, etc. It's like, oh, so like. All the things that you're supposed to do <laughs> anyway. How does that weigh up here now, like in your mind with what you went through? Because then there's anxiety that comes with having a scare like that. Well, and that was, it started to make me think about like, what are the, the things that uh, that I'm doing, that I'm allowing to, what the, what are the things that I'm allowing to occupy my brain that I shouldn't be? And for me, it, a lot of that is thinking about work mm-hmm. when I shouldn't be thinking about work. And maybe some of that has to do with the fact that I live alone, so I don't have anything else other than myself, my own brain to distract me and the TV doesn't always cut it and then I'll be watching TV and it'll make me think about something at work and then I'll end up pressing pause and I'll go down this 15 minute rabbit hole where I just work myself into a frenzy freaking out about something about work on a Friday night like dude relax it's no wonder my blood pressure is high I, I do it to myself 1939 my grandfather volunteered for service for the Canadian uh, military he was 19 years old he went uh, with uh, one of his good buddies and was told that he was unfit for service because he had a heart murmur and so for weeks, as the story goes, the legend in my family goes, he didn't sleep. And all he could think about was the fact that he was going to, you know, what he was just going to drop dead suddenly because of this heart murmur. And so my great grandmother said, you need to go and see somebody about this or you're going to worry yourself to death. Well, my grandfather ultimately lived 93 years 
and he went to the doctor, and the doctor sent him to a cardiologist even way back then. There were cardiologists, and the cardiologist said, your heart will last you as long as you live. And that's a little bit of a joke in our family now. And it eased the the tension in the room. And it was just an example that my grandpa used to give us in terms of, you know what? Sometimes you just got to find out uh, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Uh, better relationship there. Thank you, Greg, for sharing. And if anyone out there is listening and thinks, hey, that's something I could use right now, someone asking me how I'm doing and if you don't have that person asking that question right now, but you do want to talk, Clinic Crisis Line, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The toll-free number is one 322 3019 one 322 3019